Welcome back to Oliver's Insights, part of the Simplifying Investing podcast series. It's great to have you here. A reminder that this podcast is general in nature and hasn't taken your circumstances into account. It's important you consider your personal circumstances and speak to a financial advisor before deciding what's right for you. Any general tax information provided is provided as a guide only. And with that out of the way, here's Shane. G'day everyone and welcome to the latest issue of the Oliver's Insights podcast series. This week we're going to talk about tax reform and of course we've heard a lot about that over the last couple of weeks given the changes to the stage 3 tax cuts that have stored up a bit of a hornet's nest. The move to reduce the size of the benefits for higher income earners with those on $200,000 or more getting roughly $4,500 a year less and redistribute them to lower and middle income earners with those earning between $50,000-$130,000 now getting roughly $800 a year more in order to provide cost of living relief is I reckon pretty easy to understand. The arguments against it though are a bit more esoteric. The first one is the politics around committing to the stage three tax reforms as legislated in the last election and repeating that commitment up until very recently. And that was despite cost of living issues long being well known. And of course, only to then break that commitment. Of course, this all adds to the cynicism around our politicians, but I'll leave this issue to the political commentators. The second issue is the concern that the move treats the symptoms and not the causes of high inflation and risks backfiring. This could occur because by skewing the tax cuts to low and middle income earners who consume a higher proportion of their income, it runs the risk that it will add to the demand in the economy and hence inflation. This, of course, risks delaying interest rate cuts. I wouldn't make too much of that one. It's certainly a risk, but I reckon the government's been given a bit of breathing space lately because of the lower than expected inflation numbers we've seen over the last couple of months. But the final point is the big one. And this is the argument that it's yet another backward step in terms of tax reform. This is critical as in recent years, Australia's productivity performance has deteriorated. This has driven a slump in growth in per capita or per person GDP, which means lower than otherwise living standards. To boost productivity, we need to do a bunch of things. But a key thing is to reform our tax system. The stage three tax cuts were a step in that direction because they reduced the issue of bracket creep where taxpayers jump into higher tax brackets never intended for them just by seeing average wages growth. It did this by having a flat 30% tax rate for earnings between $45,000 and $200,000. The original Stage 3 tax cuts were also part of a three-stage process, with the first two focused on low- and middle-income earners. So, you could argue that the Stage 3 tax changes unravel this modest reform. So why the need for tax reform in Australia? The good news is that Australia is a relatively low-tax country. Total tax revenue as a share of GDP at 29% in 2022 was at the low end of OECD countries, where the average was 34 In fact, in Denmark, it's up nearer to 50%. The complication is that this does not allow for the whole picture because it doesn't include superannuation contributions and of course in many countries around the world uh, pension payments or superannuation that we partly refer to it as in Australia um, comes out of general revenue general taxation revenue or is at least included in the taxation system if adjustment is made for this then we are more likely to be in the middle of the pack more fundamentally there are five key issues with our tax system the first one is that it's very reliant on income tax whether it's personal or corporate tax as opposed to indirect tax like the GST In fact, the totality of income tax collections in Australia is 62% of total tax collections versus the OECD average of 34%. So it's nearly double in Australia. The problem with this 
is that income tax is highly distortionary in terms of its impact on economic activity, as it impacts decisions to work and invest, not just for high-income earners, but also for low-income earners who might be considering going off welfare and therefore will lose that and then find themselves potentially in a worse-off situation once they lay off a tax. Whereas a GST levied at the same rate on all items is far less distortionary of economic decisions. So a GST is a far more efficient tax than income tax and a greater reliance on it versus income tax will likely lead to more productivity. The high reliance on income tax will also create equity issues as the ageing population will see an increasing burden placed on younger workers to foot rising healthcare and aged care bills. Of course, the GST is also more regressive, hitting lower income earners harder than higher income earners. But this can be addressed by the setting of the tax scales, in other words, pushing out those lower thresholds, and by compensation, particularly for welfare recipients. The second issue with the tax system is that it's complicated with various tax concessions. Several tax concessions are often in the headlines. Negative gearing, for example, the capital gains tax discount, franking credit, superannuation, trust structures, and so on. The arguments put up for curtailing them are that they cost the government revenue, create distortions in the tax system, and that the benefits fall mainly to high-income earners. In reality, it's a lot more complicated than this. Let's look at negative gearing. It arises because of the way our tax system works and allowing deductions for expenses occurred in earning income. Removing or curtailing negative gearing for, say, property investment, as some want to do, will create a distortion, as it will still be available for investment in other assets. What's more, negative gearing is not the reason housing affordability is so poor in Australia and removing or curtailing it could actually make the situation worse by reducing the supply of rental property. Finally, while the dollar value of negative gearing rises with income, the majority of taxpayers that negatively gear property are middle income earners. That said, there may be a case for curtailing excessive use of this tax concession. The capital gains tax discount allows investors to halve their taxable capital gain on an asset if they hold it for more than a year. To be honest with you, I think that's probably a little bit excessive and it provides an inducement to earn income as capital gain as it's taxed at half your marginal tax rate. So I reckon there is a case to consider removing the capital gains tax discount or substantially reducing it and ideally returning to the pre-1999 approach of adjusting capital gains for price inflation before taxing them. Dividend imputation, I reckon, is a highly sensible concession that removes a bias against equities by removing the double taxation of earnings, once in the hands of companies and then in the hands of investors as dividends. Therefore, it puts shares onto a level footing with corporate debt. So in other words, it reduces the incentive of firms to excessively rely on debt and encourages firms to pay decent dividends as opposed to hoarding earnings. Curtailing dividend imputation, I reckon, would be a major, major mistake. As would fiddling too much with superannuation tax concessions. This one often comes up and the constant changes create a lot of consternation. But I reckon the case for those super tax concessions to remain is very strong in terms of boosting savings, which they've certainly done in Australia. They've supported a large pool of patient capital, which boosts long-term investment say in infrastructure and commercial property and so on, and it provides for self-funding in retirement and reducing reliance on the pensions. So I reckon those super tax concessions are doing a great job and fiddling with them too much, as we often prone to do in Australia, I think would be a major mistake. Finally, calls to end or curtail the various tax concessions need to be assessed in the context of the whole tax system in Australia. This is very important because not only does the Australian tax system have a high reliance on income tax, but it is highly progressive. And this is the third big issue with the Australian tax system. The current top marginal tax rate at 47%, including Medicare, is above the median of comparable countries and kicks in at a relatively low multiple of two times average weekly 
earnings. Whereas if you go to the US and Japan, the top marginal tax rate only kicks in at around eight times average earnings. And in places like the UK and Germany and France, for example, it's typically around four or five times average earnings. As a result, the Australian tax system is highly progressive. And this is reflected in the fact that the top 3.6% of taxpayers earning more than 180,000, in other words, in the current top bracket, pay around 32% of income tax revenue in Australia. And the top 10% of taxpayers pay nearly 50% of income tax revenue in Australia. ABS data also indicates that only the top 20% of income earners in Australia pay more in tax than they receive in government transfers like welfare. This is likely working against Australia's long-term interest to the extent that it discourages work effort and hence productivity. So back to those tax concessions, curtailing access to any or all of them will only add to the burden on this relatively small group of taxpayers and act as a disincentive for work effort at a time when we should be trying to do the opposite. Ideally, we should be looking to reduce the reliance on income tax. If we did this, the interest in strategies like negative gearing would likely decline. The fourth issue with Australian tax system is that bracket creep is an ongoing issue. Just keeping up with inflation can see a worker pushed into a tax bracket that was never intended for them. Bracket creep has been a major contributor to the rise of income tax payments as a share of household income to a record level over the last few years. In fact, over the last two years, increasing tax payments have been more of a drag on household income in Australia than higher mortgage payments. The ideal solution is to index the tax brackets to inflation. This would keep the government accountable by denying them the ability to give back bracket creep and claim that they're giving a tax cut. And it would force government to pass higher tax rates through Parliament if they want more tax revenue. The fifth and final problem is really a catch-all for many of the problems in the Australian tax system. Key issues on this front are that the GST applies to a diminishing share of consumer spending and that's particularly given the growth in health and aged care services and so on that we're seeing. The state's stamp duties grossly distort property decisions and worsen housing affordability and should ideally be replaced with land tax. State payroll taxes discourage employment. We've got car tariffs that are still levied when there is in fact no car industry to protect anymore. And road user charges need to replace fuel excise to avoid a diminishing share of road users paying for roads, particularly given the growth we're now seeing in electric vehicles. So what should we do? What is needed by way of tax reform is very simple. We need lower personal tax rates with higher thresholds. We need a lower corporate tax rate. We need a higher and more comprehensive GST. Compensation for low-income earners and welfare recipients is necessary for increasing the GST. We also need the indexation of tax brackets to inflation. And finally, the removal of stamp duty and its replacement with land tax. Now, of course, that I've kept that at a very high level and I haven't gone into detail about what uh, we should do in terms of the tax concessions, but I already referred to that. This sort of tax reform would take political courage, as seen a generation ago, but failure to do so will only hamper productivity and living standards for all Australians. I hope that's been of value. Until we meet again, adios. To keep up to date with Dr. Oliver in the Simplifying Investing podcast series, be sure to subscribe to your favourite streaming platform. 